happy, happy Thursday, my darling pop culture junkies. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. Hey guys, we're back. We're back. And I am coming to you from a hotel room in New York City, which still feels really weird for me as a New Yorker. But for those of you following my journey, I have put my apartment up for rent. It's being rented right now. I feel very naked without having a home in New York City. Living in a hotel when I'm here feels all sorts of wrong. But here I am. I even paid for internet because that's what we do when we have to make a podcast in a weird hotel in Midtown. And I paid for the internet. But I have a very special guest this week. I'm very excited to talk to. We have so many things to say. And sometimes it's people that you know, and sometimes it's people that you don't. And sometimes if you're, if you're a friend of mine or follow me, you know them because I talk about them endlessly. And that's one of those people. And today we have a person who works with me, a person who shares almost the same birthday as me, minus 19 years, and that is Rebecca Unger, the head of strategy for the new, new thing, which is my company outside of Pop Culture Mondays, and my friend. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, it's an honor to be here. I guess, you know, I call you Rebecca in a professional setting, but you go by Becca. Like, your friends know you as Becca. They do, they do. And my parents call me Bex. So there's a range of nicknames that, <laughs> that you could go so for. So you're Rebecca Bex, Bex, Rebecca, Becca, Bex. Yeah. And we're going to get to it. But the reason why I thought it was going to be, this was the perfect time to bring, finally, Rebecca onto the podcast is because Rebecca worked for a while for Anna Wintour. And I want to hear all things Met Gala through her lens because we just experienced that this week, which we're going to get to. But first, I thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about the crazy weekend I had in D.C. for the White House Correspondents Weekend because you've seen it unfold, Rebecca, mm -hmm. on my socials. My socials have now included another network, which you're now a member of, which is including Blue Sky, which we're going to get to. But I sort of was all over Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and more and more so on Blue Sky mm -hmm. this weekend talking about my, my crazy adventures. And you followed closely. I sure did, as I always do. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing outfits this year. I really did hit it out of the ballpark, I, mm -hmm. ha I have to say. I felt very confident. In fact, for any of you who know me, and I think I've talked about it, last year I was very fortunate to be at the White House Correspondents Weekend, not the dinner, but the parties. It was my birthday. Uh, my birthday is April 30th. Rebecca's birthday is April 29th. <laughs> we are Torian queens, so we celebrate our birthdays in our own styles at the same time time. Mm -hmm. um, this year, Rebecca had the big 3-0. The big 3-0 out in Palm Springs. <laughs> I know. Amazing. And this year, mine was not a very, well, it's the last one in my 40s, which is so weird to think about. I'm going to enjoy every single minute of the next 360-something days left. But I was in D.C. again. And last year on my birthday, I had an unfortunate mishap which included, which was entirely due to a couple of things. One, too high of heels. I'm not good on high heels on my best of days, but add in not having worn high heels for however many years because of COVID, add in, you know, maybe a couple of glasses of wine, add in cobblestones, and it was a recipe for disaster for me. And last year, 
just about 30 minutes past midnight uh, on my birthday where I was standing outside of the Four Seasons Hotel to take a phone call of a friend wishing me a happy birthday. I had one hand using the phone, the other hand holding my handbag and maybe a glass of wine. I don't think I had wine. I don't think I, I, maybe I did. No, there was broken glass. So there was wine in my hand as well. Anyway, I, my heel got stuck in the cobblestone. I went down, I fell. I broke my nose, slashed open my face. The Naima Raza of the stars, or wait, how does she say it? Naima Raza. Raza. Naima Raza. She corrected me before. She's been a guest on the pod. Naima, who does the podcast with Kara Swisher, was, came running out. I don't know how she got this bat signal that I was down, but man down. This year I turned it around. I decided not to wear high heels. And in fact, on that first night of parties, it was raining in DC, perfect opportunity to wear sneakers. I wore fancy trainers, as they say, with a suit. It was great. I was in heaven. There was no falling because of shoe wear, at least. I also didn't drink. I had a glass of wine, I think, at dinner. And that was that. And I was wearing pants, soft pants, as Kara Swisher says. <laughs> Everything just started on that note. I was good to go. And it was, let me just tell you, from start to finish, it was a magical weekend, not just because of all the people that were there. It was so crowded. It was so much fun. Tammy Haddad, who we all should strive to be more like in this life, is the doyenne of DC. I'm very, very fortunate to have her as a friend. She's an OG producer. I don't know if you know this, but she used to be the original producer of the Larry King show. Oh, I didn't. And to be that kind of producer, you know, Bex, like you, oh my God, I'm so funny, <laughs> Bex, this is so weird. That just came out so simply. To be a producer on that level, that means that you are just incredible at details. You're incredible at putting mm -hmm. a package together, which is why that makes Tammy like the greatest hostess known to man. So she's responsible for some of the big parties and get togethers. But this year I also had the privilege of going to the dinner. So the, the two best parties on Friday night that I think were the Axios Live Nation party, which was huge. It was a really big, big space. And I actually quite liked it because uh, the other parties were in smaller spaces, very cramped. Mm -hmm. And Last year, besides my fall, smashing my face, breaking my nose, but I also got COVID, if you remember. I sure do. I sure do. So I, I had managed to survive without COVID until those parties last year. And it was small, confined spaces and no place to have any sort of, I mean, it was like we walked in there last year. We're like, oh, we have COVID. That's fun. This year, I still might have COVID. I don't think I do. I've tested, but, but the parties were all still very cramped. Live Nation had this like grand museum where they had this whole, I don't, I, I can't even explain it. It was just a really fun party with DJ Nice who got us through lockdown, who had his COVID lockdown dance party yep. and whatnot. And like Obama and tuned in and like it was We thing. all tuned yeah. in. I mean, it was even before I moved to LA, I was just like, he was in his apartment in New York and he was just spinning and we all just, did it on Instagram lives. And then he was sort of the, the perfect opener for that kind of party. And then they had Lainey Wilson, who I did not know, um, but she's this rising country star, but awesome. She was so, I mean, she was hot. I, I just, she was wearing these like sequin tight little bell bottom pants things. I was like, I want those pants. I wish I could look like that in her pants, but it was fun. She was just like the perfect kickoff and it was, a mixture of people in politics and entertainment and some people from LA and New York. And it was just, 
you could have a beer or have a martini and have good food and have a conversation because it was this really giant space. You had room to move yeah. and breathe and you didn't have to wait 40 minutes for a drink. But the flip side, the UTA party was also unbelievable, but for very different reasons. If there was entertainment, I don't know. There was a DJ. It's in this restaurant, which I believe is where they always have it because it's where they had it last year. And it's beautiful, but every single person that you could recognize in the world of politics and media and entertainment was in that room. Like literally in that room, you could not get a drink, like, and I did not drink, so I was fine. But even to get a glass of water, I was like bartering with people who were five feet in front of me or five mm -hmm. people in front of me. I'm like, can you just get me a glass of water? Yeah. It was, you know, those parties from like the old days of New York where yep. it's just like, you have to really be having fun to stay there yeah. or else you're just like, like number one rule of hosting is make sure that everyone can access alcohol or non-alcohol quite easily, at least. Yeah. So the UTA people, it's, it's like, no one cares. Yeah. Like I didn't, I, food was there somewhere, but there were so many people packed yeah. in. It was like, it's like you're living like a sardine, but you're packed in with people that you see every day on your television. Yeah. So you're sort of like, okay. But what was crazy was that on one end of the room was Don Lemon, who Ooh. showed up. And then on the other end was Chris Lick. Oh. And I was like, in, and then, you know, you had Brian Stelter and Jamie Stelter there and Dylan Byers. And we were like navigating, like, what is happening? Who's going to fight? Who's, are there going to be words exchanged? Because you have alcohol and... You have all of the newscasters, obviously my girls, the beautiful and brilliant Stephanie Rule and Kate Baldwin from CNN. Uh, Steph is with MSNBC. I mean, it was just like old home week. It felt like a reunion. A lot of these people I haven't seen in a long time. I see them all the time on social, but I haven't seen them in person. I haven't had that chance to give them a hug. It was just like old home week. It was so Fun. It was crazy, too, because you're just like, why are the Vanderpump people there? And I did say on the podcast last week that my template for success was going to be whether or not I met Lisa Vanderpump <laughs> or my tattoo. I failed. But I had some pretty other amazing other conversations. Uh, you did. And some iconic photos came out of that night. The it was that night and the next night. So yeah. that night, the night of the UTA party was when I was wearing sneakers. I was happy as can be. Iconic. But still relatively like we get home, it wasn't that late, it was like maybe a little past one. And then you have Tammy Haddad's like brunch, garden brunch. This is the 30th anniversary. This is starts at 11. So you're, you've, everybody's been out till all hours. Then you get mm -hmm. up and then you have this whole day and Tammy's lunch, like the, as fun as the UTA party is, then Tammy's lunch is even more extra and it's outside. And you have even more people, more politicians. Tinksy was there. And Tinksy yeah. obviously talked about Tammy's party on one of her rich moms. of Yeah, so. the staple. You know you've made it in D.C. once you've made it to that brunch. And so perfect, right? Perfect, yeah. perfect content for Tinks. And you could always get a drink. As crowded as it was, you could always get a cocktail, a glass of Prosecco. I mean, there was food literally hanging from the rafters. They had like... <laughs> donuts hanging and bacon. But I got to meet Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who I have met before his foray into politics. But I didn't, I didn't think it was an appropriate time to mention that. We had a great conversation about California, about 
the future and government and you know it's just like oh i'm just hanging out talking to the governor like over a cup of coffee it was really wild and then somebody asked me if i wanted to meet kellyanne conway and i didn't even have to think about it i was like no i don't want to waste small talk on that crazy pants lady zero nope. interest Nope. <laughs> but there's all of these stories about Molly Young Jung Fast, who's awesome, who I've met this weekend, and Kellyanne Conway having like a big fight in these public affairs. I didn't see anything. If they if it happened, I completely missed it. But Dr. Fauci was there, Leave Shriver was there, like Justin Thoreau. It was a very weird mix. And then you're there until three, and then you race home. The men can do whatever they want because it takes them 30 seconds to get dressed, oh. apparently. And then we got dressed for the dinner. And this is the first time I got to go to the dinner. And I don't know if I'll go again. It's a lot. It's a huge amount of work. It's, it's an ordeal just to get there. I feel bad for the women wearing very high heels because you have to walk a lot, protesters and barricades and all of that. Mm -hmm. And it's this huge ballroom. I mean, huge, bigger, biggest ballroom I've ever seen. Like, like three times the size of any ballroom I've had at like a big keynote or something. I think you squish 5,000 people in there or something. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see half the stars. Like I didn't see Chrissy Teigen and John Legend until the end. You can't really move once you're in. The, it's like chair to chair. So it's not one of those rooms, which I guess they do purposely. So people are like locked in their seat. <laughs> the food was terrible. I don't know how you do food for 4,500 people, but there are better ways. Like what they should do is just put like a bunch of crudite and a bunch of like cheeseburgers or something like in the middle of the table. It would have been better than like wasting all of that disgusting food that nobody touched. Was it like so, a coursed out meal, like starter main dessert? You sit down and there's a salad who, which has been on your table for God knows how long, right? So there's a salad, but it takes you about like an hour from when they've probably put that down to when everybody's seated. And then they the serving is off. So it's like, half our table was eating their salads when the other half was getting dessert. Like the servers had no idea what was going on. I mean, they're not trained for this. None of them had any clue and they're just throwing food. It was not elegant in mm. any way. I can't imagine a state dinner would be like this. I mean, it's literally the bottom of the barrel of service. And I, we, we never got a choice of what to eat. We, we couldn't figure out if the food on our plate was fish or mozzarella. It was like one of those things we couldn't, we had to cut into it to understand what it was. The, it sounds the, like a subway situation or something like that. I mean, the beef looked like a hockey puck. Emily Post would have been horrified. And, and horrified. Chef, yeah, it was, the whole thing was horrifying. And then they did like community desserts in the middle of the table. It, and there was, a, and again, I wasn't drinking, so I can't complain, but they don't serve alcohol in these things. They just put cheap wine on the tables, which is worse because people get more drunk off of cheap wine. And I was just people... gonna say, for those who were drinking, there's nothing to line their stomachs except a puck meat substitution. <laughs> and I don't think people were eating it. I don't think people were, so nothing to line their stomachs and they were drinking cheap alcohol. But you've seen the clips now, the president was on fire. Fire. He has a sense of humor and he had a sense of humor about himself. I mean, when he called himself like he, my best friend, Jimmy Madison, it was hilarious. He's definitely making fun of himself. We've not had that in our last president. But not everybody loves NPR. Elon Musk tweeted that it should be defunded. Well, the best way to make NPR go away is for Elon Musk to buy it. And that's more true than you think anyway. 
and it was was interesting because I don't know they were not recognizable at the table next to me, but they were clearly all seriously conservative. So I don't know why they would be there if they were not going to have fun. But anytime that Biden said anything rem- like about Tucker or whatnot, these people looked like they were sucking on lemons. They were really unhappy people. Roy Wood Jr. was amazing, so funny, so self-deprecating, and acknowledged that a lot of people might not know who he was, that some people might think that he was Kenan Thompson from SNL or the dad from Family Matters, which was so funny. And a certain generation definitely got that. He did say something. He started off by talking about drag queens, and he's like, everybody, can we just agree that drag queens aren't going into schools to groom them? And people clap, people applauded. Woohoo, we support drag queens. Okay. And he's like, and if they did, they wouldn't really get far because the kids would be shot before they got a chance. Something along those lines. And you know, people groaned, some people booed. And he's like, don't moan, don't moan. Fucking change legislation. And you know, nothing else is working. So stuff like that has to be said. It was, um, it was really interesting, but it was very clever. It was really thoughtful. I didn't realize how much of the White House correspondence dinner is really, it's a fundraiser. The whole thing is a fundraiser for helping students going into journalism, helping get journalists who are held captive. I mean, we, we know about Evan, who's for the Wall Street Journal in Russia, but there's another journalist from that's been in prison in Syria for 11 years. So talking about that. So anyway, all in all, it was really fascinating. And I have to say DC really knows how to throw a party. Like it. I didn't get home that night till four in the morning. I saw that and you were up, you know, partying since 11. So that is some, that's a marathon. I spent almost all day on my birthday in bed, except for we woke up and we had bagels and like white fish and and then I went back to bed and then we got up and ate again. And then I watched Succession and then I went back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have sacrificed your birthday to Washington these past two I years. I, I really hope. Not next year. Next year we're going to do Jamaica. Year. Okay, so <laughs> the reason why I thought it was going to be such an interesting conversation, Rebecca, is that you mm-hmm. worked with Anna Wintour at Vogue. And last night, which is, t- we're in the time machine, guys, so this is Tuesday, so things will happen before Thursday, so we, if we don't mention it, it's because we're in the time machine, it hasn't happened yet. But what's on the tips of everyone's tongue on social, my TikTok feed, my Instagram feed, all the memes are Met Gala related. This year's theme was controversial. Karl Lagerfeld, who is the man behind the Chanel, sort of creative director Chanel. of Chanel for many, many years, as well as other brands, but he's iconic. He is famous for always wearing black and white. He also had his cat Choupette. He's also considered to be a bigot, a racist, and a fat shamer, and some other not great things, but he had publicly said that fat women weren't interesting to him. He had been very outspoken about, you know, there's, I think there was Islamophobia. There's a lot. And there's a lot of people who felt that he should not have been honored, but honor him. They did. We had an array of meh, as far as I'm concerned, a lot of people took, took it quite literally. And like 90% of everyone was wearing black and white. Yeah. And you had one Choupette sighting and that was Jared Leto dressed (laughs) up like a a furry, Um, quite a good, quite a good Choupette, I Mm -hmm. might say. 
But all in all, like people still come out. You have Jamila Jamil and others who were like outspokenly protesting the fact that they were celebrating a man who they considered to be terrible for moving women forward. I thought Jamila made a really good point in terms of like separating him from others in terms of separating the art from the artist. Mm -hmm. And before we get into more of that, like, yeah, what is this day like? And this isn't a Vogue thing. I mean, ultimately, it serves Vogue. This is because Anna sits on the board of the Met, the Costume costume, Institute, the Costume Institute, which is in the Met. And each year they put on this sort of themed event that gets obviously people coming to the Met to see it. But Vogue doesn't pay for this. This is completely Anna Wintour's brand. Yeah, it's her brand. And and like the White House Correspondents Dinner, it is a fundraiser for the for the Costume Institute. And so every year, um, like big brands like LVMH or H&M or some of these major kind of fashion names will buy tables and then And they're invite. very expensive. They're like $100,000 or something like that. Yeah, they're very expensive. And then they invite the celebrities who will sit at their specific tables. And I mean, planning goes into this, like pretty much the second one finishes, planning for the next one will begin. And they spend all year, you know, coming up with the theme, designing the exhibition, Andrew Bolton, who um, is the head curator for the Costume Institute, who I had the pleasure of meeting when I was at Vogue is just a total genius. And he will go out and source like hundreds of thousands of, um, you know, vintage pieces to kind of put into this exhibition and narrow it down to a couple hundred. And this is ultimately the exhibition that then lives on at the Met for a good couple months and the public can come and visit it. But it's what's the big unveil is the night of the Met Gala, which happens the first Monday in May. But the preparation leading up to it in terms of designing the exhibit, designing the actual event, and then importantly, curating the guest list is insane. And like, sorry, guys. Yeah, can I ask a question yeah. about that? Because like, you know, when I ran a, a bigger company, like if I were to have a personal event that I then pulled from my team. Like, yes, it ultimately was good for the company, but my team, my employees, like that, if they started working on that and it wasn't Vogue, it wasn't Condé, it wasn't my company, there would be some eyebrows raised. Like, you know, like you were hired by Condé Nast, you're not working for Anna, you're working for Condé Nast, you're not working for the Metropolitan Museum. So how does that work? Because I imagine she pulls a lot from the staff of Vogue, or is it a separate organization entirely? So yeah, like, while a lot of Vogue staffers do work on the event, I mean, I can't even count the number of teams that are involved from, you know, production to catering to marketing to planning and all of that. But I do, this is complete speculation here, but what I imagine is that, you know, yes, while it is Anna's event and it is the Met Museum's event, you know, everyone does associate it with Vogue. So the success of the event is very much tied into you know, the success of Vogue and Vogue's image overall as well. Right, because so I, I would that, imagine these stars aren't yeah. coming because they care about an exhibit at the Met. They care because this is something that Anna Wintour is doing. And Anna Wintour, not, you know, not just Vogue, but Anna Wintour, but Anna Wintour and Vogue are the same, are synonymous. And yeah, I They're think coming so. because of, it's just, this is good for them to be seen by Anna Wintour as a team player, supportive, playing into helping with her cause and the designers, it helps them as well. Absolutely. And I think that everything is so intricately tied together that, you know, when we were working the event, we were very much working as part of this big ecosystem that Vogue was a prominent part of. So I, uh, that's my speculation. I think okay. that's probably how it works. Yeah. Now, 
I have a question. So I don't know if you saw, but we had what is being considered a fashion faux pas last night. And that is we had two women in the same dress. Olivia Wilde yes. uh, was in the famous, I think it's a Fendi violin dress. And then this other actress who I was not familiar with. Sorry, I don't know her name, but she's beautiful. She was wearing the more modern day, but basically the same. Just Olivia Wilde's was white and this woman's was black. There were a few details different in terms of how they wore it, but the violin shape and the and the, the arms and the sleeves were the same. It's the same dress. Everyone yeah. on TikTok is like, this is the biggest faux pas. Where was Anna Wintour? The, room, the story is, though I've never seen it discussed on the record, maybe, I, maybe it's out there, is that Anna has to approve every single outfit that every single person wears to the gala. Is that true? So from my understanding, it's not black and white. Like, yes, she approves everything. No, she doesn't. She approves a lot of the looks, especially the high profile looks, especially working with the designers who are dressing celebrities. I never was privy to the, the fact that she would approve every single look. I mean, hundreds of people attend this and there are some lesser known names. She's not going through, I don't think, every single look down to the final person that has a seat at the table. Yeah, because I know I know a tech person who went a few years ago and his wife uh, at the time went. And she's like, I don't think anybody saw my dress ahead of time unless like the stylist no. sent a picture. So it's quite possible there is going to be, but I don't think there's ever been such a high profile moment as they had last night. Poor Olivia Wilde can't get a break. I know, the poor girl. And so this has become the big topic of conversation. And yet every TikTok creator, every single one that I've seen is like, like, how did Anna let this happen? And I just, I don't like, the, you know, we are in the narrative business and the storytelling business. Does it interest them at all to sort of get that corrected that she's not sitting there approving every dress or do they just not care and just let it... <laughs> like sort of fly by? I mean, I think my sense is that, you know, once the Devil Wears product came out and once her sort of like ice queen persona became so fully fledged and so well known that all of these little instances that kind of play into that and play into her is sort of this like, you know, greater than everything in control of everything narrative. My understanding would be that it, it doesn't behoove them to sort of go out there and try and stamp out every little fire like this. Right, like a whack-a-mole. Now, you worked with her after Devil Wears product came out, right? I did, yeah, I did, which was so funny. Did you have to go get any, you know, unpublished works for the children, for the friends, bound <laughs> and ready before the publisher had even seen them? I did not, but what I will say is that, and this, you know, has stuck with me to this day, and I think it has been such a benefit to my career is that you do get asked to do some pretty, you know, out there things, something that a couple people may be like, oh, that that seems like impossible. And with Annie, you learn that there's no sort of plan B, there's either plan A or a different kind of plan A. And so <laughs> in situations like that. Okay, Rebecca, can you share one example, non-controversial, if you can't, I understand, but is there any example not, I don't want Anna to be in a bad light because I don't think she could be in a bad light with me. I think she's remarkable and she's created you in terms of your <laughs> professional uh, acumen, which is incredible. So is there any example you can use? I should, I, was, I should have thought of this before, that you had asked me this before I came on. Um, I will say that she's probably asked for like last minute changes to things or things to arrive at places in a 
completely crazy short amount of time, whether it's something as small as like a coffee or something that's as large as like getting a dress to like, oh, actually, I do remember one thing that does stand out, which is not controversial. She asked to get reservations to this restaurant in New York that was like booked out two years in advance or something crazy like that. And they really were like, you could be any celebrity and you couldn't get a reservation. And it wasn't for her. It was someone else. And I spent probably a good like couple of weeks building up a relationship with this head of reservations person and like checking in and, and doing everything that was humanly possible. And finally we ended up getting like a slot at this restaurant within the time frame that I had been given. And I was told that it would not be possible. And I know that that's not like crazy controversial or anything, but that does stick with me. Oh my God. First of all, day. I know what a New York reservation is like. I mean, as anybody who is a New Yorker, we, our currency is the hot table at the hot mm-hmm. restaurant, um, which is why I invested in restaurants. This is why I was an investor in Spotted Pig, because before the Spotted Pig came crashing down, it was the hot spot place that uh, theoretically didn't give reservations unless you're an investor. Do you remember the name of the restaurant? Is it still around? Yeah. Oh, I I'll say it. I'm sure it's like not a problem. It was Rayo's. Oh that, my like, God. Mafiosa place. Well, you can't get a reservation there. It's not, you can yeah. only, you're not like, not because it's booked. So the, the, the reason Rayo's you can't is that people own tables. So it's like a whole, right. it's, a, it's a mafia run, basically spot. It's a red sauce <laughs> spot. Like and all of the gangsters would go there. They still have mm-hmm. bullet holes in the walls from when there was mm-hmm. a shootout. And yep. theoretically, people own tables. So it's like some weird tax thing that they avoid. So you can't just go and make a table reservation, yeah. even if, it, if you had a year out. You have to know the person who no- owns the table or you yeah. have to get like you did, like really, really chummy with somebody that they can then find that spot. Oh, it's I got, impossible. Yeah. Most, most of my hardcore friends of New Yorkers still haven't been there. I've been there once. And by the way, the, like no offense, I mean it's the food is fine. It's it's just like red sauce Italian. Yeah, but the room is incredible. You're just like I'm in the middle of gangster land. It's so crazy, like old school mafia. Well, there we go. I, I completely forgot about the table thing, and now it it's coming back to me because they did give me an explanation for why this was so impossible, even for someone as high profile as her. And I was like, nope, gotta find a way. And gotta find a way. <laughs> And we did it. So yeah, that's that's one little tidbit from. And so, does she take any time off? Like today, if this was me, if that was my event, I would be sitting in the spa today, getting my feet rubbed. I'd be taking my team out to spas. I tell everybody to you know take some time, enjoy. Maybe I'd run off to the Caribbean for a few days of R and R. My instinct is that she's probably right back in the middle of her busy day. But you tell me. I mean, your instinct is basically correct. Not that she never takes time off, that she does have, you know, a place out in Long Island that she spends, you know, a nice amount of time at and does sort of have downtime playing tennis and and whatnot. We got we got to get into the office late the next day, aka eight (laughs) a.m. Eight a.m. Oh my god! What was your normal hours? Like six forty-five, seven ish. And did you have to be like fashionable as I, guys, just so you know, Rebecca and I both moved to Los Angeles. Rebecca is very sophisticated. She sounds American, but she's English and she grew up all over the world from Germany to India to London to now New, in New York. And now we live in L.A. And it would be it's an exception to the rule when we're not in leggings and Birkenstocks. 
like yep. all day, every day, <laughs> which I imagine was not what something you could wear to the Vogue office. Oh no. Oh no. I mean, I basically had to buy a whole new wardrobe to work at Vogue because I also came from sort of like the London Berlin where I wore a lot of black. It was like cold a lot. And I think it's, it's pretty well known. Anna, Anna's not very into black, which is kind of funny given the, you know, the theme this year for the Met Gala, which was a lot of black and white. But she likes color. She likes a lot of color. So I had to introduce a lot of color into my wardrobe. And I, I think of the scene in- of, of Meryl Streep and what's her name, where they're going over the blue, like cerulean blue. And cerulean she blue. And she and um, Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, of course, who was beautiful last night in a Versace pin dress. Yeah, that gorgeous. Was, uh, that was the, my favorite dress of the night. Anne Hathaway is dressed like sort of nerdy Anne Hathaway and is yeah. laughing about all of the thinking of blue. And then Meryl Streep. Did, does the whole timeline of how that cerulean blue got to then wear her J. Crew sweater or whatever? Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, and it's so funny, like speaking of the Devil's Daughter, because I had seen that film maybe like 10 times before I got this job. I was obsessed with it. The first time I saw it when I was quite a bit younger and, you know, just a teenager, I was like, I came out of the movie theater being like, that's what I want one day. <laughs> you wanted to be Anne Hathaway working for Meryl Streep and you got it. I mean, you literally I, manifested it. So. I guess I did. Like 12, 11, 12 year old me was, you know, did oh manifest. God, is that how long ago that movie came out? No, oh, I don't maybe. believe you. I don't believe you. Hold on. Devil wears Prada. I'm going to cry at how 2006. Holy shit. Right. Right. Oh, my God. I don't even know what to say. I don't understand what time is. I really don't. I don't want to talk about it anymore. That's all. What I do want to talk about is the rug, the red carpet, which was a white carpet with blue and red stripes, but like a light blue, cerulean blue, if you will, and a red. (laughs) And a lot of people have made note that it is very, it is the basically the same as the box of Ozempic and it's certainly the Ozempic colors and so <laughs> a lot of people are showing like the pictures of people on that red cart white carpet with blue and white and the Ozempic box and they're not wrong it's like literally the exact same colors other people have compared it to like the the toothpaste with, oh like, yeah i can see that things in it the 2023 mandala carpet literally looks like a tube of toothpaste it's giving powered by colgate like this is the exact same pattern and the print of the carpet itself is such an underrated topic of conversation because it's no longer just about how their outfit looks it's about how their outfit looks being photographed against this background so some of them can look great like blue combining with the blue versus others will just look weird not even because they're necessarily a bad dress or bad look but just because they clash with this super niche color combination of the carpet and compare that to other years where they have more of like a solid color and predictable background means that you can prepare like what colors you're wearing how the texture looks so that it will be photographed so much better on an actual carpet as opposed to it just looking like a weird kind of toothpaste that like nobody can actually build an outfit around she's even involved in every detail like that that was like her call how to do that something to pop and it certainly looked like like one of the jenner girls i don't know which one but they they're told in advance what the colors of the carpet are going to be so they can coordinate their dresses. Yeah, no, I think that's right for especially the, you know, important people. They certainly know everything in advance in terms of the color scheme so they can make sure that their 
photographs look great and all the things. But yeah, the carpet was an interesting choice. My first connection with it was this champagne carpet is getting <laughs> a lot of traction this season in terms of red carpets. But yeah, yes, the yes. is probably more appropriate. Did you see what happened to be the most viral part of the red carpet or white oh, carpet? Oh, the little, the little, the little cockroach. Cockroach. <laughs> and as you know, Brooke, if I had been on the carpet you would have you done know, back have in the quit. day as I was I would have contributed to that viral moment by being the most hysterical person <laughs> Rebecca is somebody who I can tell you is so cool under pressure like nothing gets her like something terribly could go wrong in an event or a meeting or something and that girl is as cool as a cucumber you put a little tiny spider near her or a cockroach it's like crazy hair on fire, jumping up on a table, all the color drains from her face. It is it is a sight to see. It sure is. But that cockroach is like, it made, and I saw there's some memes going around where they put like a Louis Vuitton, like logo on the cockroach or like different logos. Like yeah, they're like, like, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? <laughs> but it was a classic New York moment. Anna is probably like, next year you're gonna have like cockroach exterminators there all oh day, yeah all, all and afternoon thankfully it happened though while most of the celebs and everyone had gone inside and everyone was just waiting for classic rihanna who's always like the last to show up but i don't understand what is i mean i, I know you're riri you are everything mm -hmm. but isn't it at some point like insulting like the event is over like people were there at 6 30 that's when the red carpet started anna was there at 5 45 the mm -hmm. red carpet starts going at 6 30 you're going to insult Anna if you do a few things. If you, you know, make a scene on the red carpet, if you're smoking apparently in the bathroom, which a lot of people do. Oh, like do. Doja Cat? Not in the bathroom, but she was Doja vaping Cat on was that. vaping on the carpet, but like apparently none of those things, but real cigarette smoking apparently goes on in the bathroom, which is a no-no. You're in the fucking Met. Like, obviously you don't do that. There are certain things, but the thing then goes to, you know, assuming it starts at 6.30, you know, probably goes to 11, and then people go to the after parties. Yeah. And the photographers, a lot of people go home after the red carpet and then they go, maybe that's it. They're writing their stories. They're doing their things. Riri shows up at 1030 for the photo call on the red carpet. Mm -hmm. 1030, which means that she gets there for the photo moment. She's not there for the the event. She's not awk buying anything if they do. An, do they do an auction there? Like what goes on in the room? That's so funny you say auction. I don't think they No, They don't do an auction. No, I'm like mixing it up with other events that I right. attended at the time. They I'm don't sure. do an auction. But is it a sit down dinner? It's a sit down dinner. So it starts with a walk through the exhibition and then everyone has cocktail hour in one of the rooms. They always switch up like which rooms in the Met they, they do each part of the event in. And then everyone files into dinner and they're herded like sheep and they go to their tables and partway through dinner, there's a musical performance. Yeah, and so Rihanna comes in after that. I would imagine so, yeah, it would have to be. It still sounds a lot more glamorous. It is a lot more glamorous than my Washington DC dinner <laughs> with like thrown hockey puck beef in comparison to having a beautiful Anna Wintour experience, which I'm sure, you know, what's so funny is that all of that delicious food was lost on that crowd because either they're on Ozempic or they just don't eat in general. Whereas all of us in Washington were like, please give us a burger. Like yeah. I will eat an In-N-Out burger like there's no tomorrow. Um, two very different experiences. Well, the last thing I want to talk about, because yeah. everybody in DC was talking about it. I don't know 
if anybody would be talking about it at the red carpet. But DC, everybody was talking about it. And I mean the media, the celebrities, my friends. And that is the very fast growing new addition to the social network world, Blue Sky, which is a carbon copy of Twitter, but different than Twitter, um, specifically because it's open source and it's uh, the software is basically you can join different servers, which will mean quite interestingly enough that I think companies will be able to have or your own blue sky. So think of it as like Slack almost, but with social. Mm -hmm. But it is a carbon copy of Twitter. It's been around. It was co-founded by Jack Dorsey. It was funded by Jack Dorsey, who sits on the board. The CEO is a woman. A lot of the executive team are women. It is almost like we've been given an opportunity to take everything we learned that could go wrong with Twitter and start over in a new, I mean, it's the same format. It's the same font. It's it's everything, and, it's, and while it's been around, it was like it hit its sort of trajectory on Thursday when just it started proliferating all over Twitter, like, this is my blue sky, this is my blue sky, this is my blue sky. People were begging for invite codes. People were, you know, offering, you know, to trade things for whatever they had to trade for a blue sky code. I'm on blue sky. A lot of my friends have started to come on to blue sky. You're on blue sky. What do you think? What is your first impression? I mean, my first impression was exactly like you said. I was like, they could have done a little bit more with the design on this just to make it slightly more unique to, you know, set themselves up for like a new story. This is supposed to be actually, sorry, my first impression besides the design you posted it in the newsletter earlier this week where it was the meme of like the golden retriever next to the big scary beast. And they were like, the only thing I can, you know, distinguish between one and the other is that blue sky is like this golden retriever. It's nice. It's fluffy. I want to cuddle up with it. I want to spend time here. Twitter has turned into this monster cesspool of a place. And so that was kind of like in very sort of myopic terms, my first kind of impression of what it was. Yeah. And I think Blue Sky has a really big opportunity to learn from the past mistakes. So they're going to learn For sure. how important moderation is, what they're going to do in terms of bullying and racism and sexism and, and all of the horrible things that come out yeah. porn, all of those things. They have they have a sort of crystal ball, if you will, to be able to look at what goes wrong. And so they're lucky yeah. in that way. And I hope, I really do believe with women in that leadership, we just do things differently. We see things differently. We have a different set of EQ skills. Mm -hmm. and we have EQ, something that a lot of people <laughs> have. And I didn't even talk about it in the newsletter, but because I was so bored with it, but you know, on the negative side, you have Jack Dorsey now using Blue Sky as a place to say that, you know, criticize Elon and say Elon wasn't the right person for the company. You're like, dude, you fucking sold the company. You did this. Mm -hmm. you, you left. You this all happened. And you actually at the time said no one's more perfect for it than Elon. So like, stop. So the hypocrisy was annoying, but I didn't even want to get into it. But it is definitely gaining traction. It feels mm -hmm. like early days. It's like, you know, you see real celebrities like AOC is out on there and Chrissy Teigen. Chrissy Teigen's on there. Kara Swisher's on there. Monica Lewinsky's on there. But like even they're still accessible at this moment in time. Like I liked a, an AOC. We're calling them posts. I guess some people are calling them skeets. I'm not. I'm just call, I don't know what to call them. I can't use the term skeet. You can't say tweet. But one of their posts I liked and I was it was like 47 likes. Like it's still in that early, early stage. I think they have like 50 some thousand people on there right now. But I, I think it's a it's the first real alternative that we've seen. The others have been too clunky, too 
non-user friendly, certainly for a regular non-tech crowd. Yeah. Um, too difficult to access, not app-based. So I think we're we're on to something here. And it's theirs to sort of take to the next level. Absolutely. I mean, when I went on Mastodon, for example, it took me, I was like, this is a little bit confusing. I don't see myself, you no. know, taking the time to try and figure this out. Whereas when I went on to Blue Sky, I was like, oh, this is something I can actually see myself spending time on. Because and, you know, because it's Twitter. And, you know, this was also my first kind of time being one of the first users of a technology like this. So that's been really exciting to to kind of be a part of. So thank you for my code, Brooke. Oh, yes, I did give you an invite code. I did, I did. I feel really psyched that I got that. Okay, well, and for the benefit of time, I have to dash down. Speaking of Condé Nast, I'm going to the Waverly Inn. I have a meeting at the Waverly, and then I have dinner at the Waverly. So I'm feeling very New York City right now. Make out, marry, or mute. I'll go first. You can think about okay, it. Okay, okay. I would make out with Justin Thoreau, not because, I mean, yes, he's handsome. I did stalk him. I did approach him and show him the tattoo of my dog, which he was like, oh, is he still with us? And I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> he is. I guess one would think that a tattoo is in, in remembrance, but he brought his dog to the dinner. And I mean, the level of love that man has for his dog is just, I totally appreciate it. I, he doesn't have kids. He's not married anymore to Jennifer Aniston. I'm sure he has an active love life, but that man's dog is his number one. And I think it's really hot. I would marry Tammy Haddad because I think Tammy would be the greatest partner in crime. She and I did get to spend a week together as housemates when we rented an Airbnb in Palm Springs over the winter for, for Kara's birthday. And she and I would like come back from dinners and we'd make ourselves a little like vodka drink and talk about the day and she'd play with potato. I mean, she's basically the perfect wife. I would marry Tammy in a heartbeat. Tammy Haddad, please marry me. And I, I would mute the, just all of this hypocrisy. The, the one thing I noticed about DC is that DC people will say that they're very, they, that they're bipartisan in the social environments. These, they, they all come together and socialize. The people that are bashing each other on, on cable news then come together and break bread in these social experiences. So it feels really hard for me to get my head wrapped around it. And I hate that. It feels very much then like not real. And I can't live in a world where the, the gray area is so gray. So I would mute that entire situation. Like if you don't, if you're bashing Kellyanne Conway on CNN, don't then like be arm in arm with her at a party. That's that's what I say. My final thoughts. Kill all the hypocrisy. Yeah. Okay. I would make out with, and I'm definitely stealing this from you. <laughs> I would make out with Pedro Pascal and his red short look at the Met Gala this year. He just looked like he was having so much fun and just like carefree and just like, yeah, I'm going to wear a pair of shorts to the Met Gala. I am here for it. He was wearing like black biker shorts with a red jacket and like, oh, it was black shorts. But, yeah. but then he was wearing like, like combat boots and he was showing leg. I don't know. It looked very like, I don't remember who the designer is, but it looked very much like that. Tom was, Brown. It was Tom Brown. It was, it couldn't be more Tom Brown with the sock, yeah. the boot, the, he's so hot. Like, he could he could dress up like freaking Peter Pan. I don't care. He's so hot. He was basically yeah. Peter Pan in that. Yeah, he was basically Peter Pan. And I just I loved like that he looked like he was having so much fun with everyone else doing their like chiseled poses and he was just like, Yeah, I'm here at the Met Gala. I'm the man of the moment. So he's, he's my makeup. He's our father. He's daddy. 
marry, I'm going to do a personal one. I would marry all of the people that made my birthday weekend this weekend so special. I had the most fabulous weekend celebrating my 30th birthday in Palm Springs. And so shout out to all the people that made that so special. I would marry all of you in a heartbeat. Oh, I love that. And you're, and you're alive to tell the tale minus the sunstroke. I'm alive to tell the tale. I, it was like a hundred plus degrees for most of the weekend. And as people who know me know, I love being in the sun and laying out in the sun. Um, and I think I might've overdone it in the sun this weekend, but I'm here to live and to tell the tale and mute. I know that, you know, this is kind of far on in the news cycle. I would still meet Tucker Carlson. I'm just like, you know, I don't want him back. He's going to come back. I know he's going to come back. I want him muted. I want him muted. I don't want him to come back. I want that cockroach mushed. So that's why I'm muted. Oh, I hope he's not a cockroaches because cockroaches are so hard to kill and they live forever. And they'll outlive oh, yeah, us good all. Point. So good point. like a gnat, like a mosquito, like my bee situation, those poor bees. Oh, my gosh. Let's, we can talk about that another day. Yeah. <laughs> I had 35,000 bees in my house last week and they were all humanely rescued in a vacuum and taken to Paso Robles to a bee sanctuary in a winery. So Lati da, everybody has a happy ending, except for me, because I had to knock half my side of my house down. All in all, life <laughs> is grand. You guys, thank you for hanging out with Rebecca and myself this beautiful Thursday. And we'll see you guys next week. And thank you, David, as always. Pop Culture Monday. On Thursday.